You're listening to From the Inside Out, a podcast series from USA Learning Lab. International development is a complex process, and we don't always get it right. But here at USA Learning Lab, we believe that we all have a role in improving organizational effectiveness and ultimately achieving better development outcomes. Our goal for this series is to empower USAID staff and partners to change the way they work. So we're sharing research and practical tips on how you can collaborate, learn, and adapt to help USAID achieve better development outcomes. This is the fifth and final episode in the Inside Out podcast series, and we're going to discuss a topic that we've touched on in previous episodes, pause and reflect. Taking the time to pause and reflect is an essential CLA practice that leads to evidence-based decision-making and adaptation. We'll explore evidence that group reflection leads to learning and decision-making. Next, we'll discuss two opportunities for USAID staff and partners to use program cycle processes to pause and reflect. In our third segment, Ian and I will discuss some of the ways that our team has built pause and reflect moments into the way we work. While this series is wrapping up, we've got another one in the works. Listen until the end of this episode for a preview of our upcoming series, Leaders in Learning, which will be released starting mid-June 2018. Good morning, Stacey and Ian. Good morning. Hello. The subject of this episode is why it pays to pause and reflect. Ian, why is it worth it to take the time to pause and reflect on our work? What do we know about the value of group reflection? Daniel Kahneman, who is the author of the book Thinking Fast and Slow, he found that recent discoveries in the health sector, uh, specifically in the field of neuroscience, further support the need for group reflection within organizations. And we know from research on how our brains process information and that we are vulnerable to confirmation bias. We mistake the repetition of the same thing over and over as confirmation of its truth, which lends itself to the importance of like taking a moment to really explore what's happening and why and, and pursuing divergent thoughts to, to see if what you're doing really is having the effect. Um, and according to some of his research, our brains have two systems for processing information. Um, system one, which is a fast system, and system two is a slow system. S- system one, thinking is stored in the associative memory part of the brain, and so processing is pretty much automatic and subconscious, for example, making first impressions. While system two, thinking requires deeper concentration to understand different viewpoints, examine assumptions, and negotiate solutions. Unless intentionally called forth, our brains will revert to using system one thinking over system two, opting for quick fixes over deliberate decision making. So really, how can we just move this forward? Let's just go. Which means you're going to lose sight of what your ultimate goal is if you're not careful. Research also found that groups are better than individuals when it comes to avoiding the biases and errors of system one thinking. That's because it's much easier to identify a minefield when you observe others going into it than when you yourself are wandering in. The literature goes on to show that reflecting as a group builds mutual understanding and shared trust that aids collaboration and evidence-based decision-making. Stacy, what do you make of this idea of fast and slow thinking? How does it relate to the way USAID works? We all experience greater and greater degrees of sort of, you know, built-in amnesia in our work where we're 
trying to remember what we talked about in the meeting yesterday or what we read last week, that seems like ancient history because there's just so much coming at us all the time and we don't take that time to actually integrate it on a deeper level. The way that we integrate what we have learned is through pause and reflect and the way that we're able to synthesize it with other things that we know so that it becomes available to us in a long-term way as part of our knowledge base that pause and reflect is essential to that. Otherwise, we're just awash in data points. USAID programming, there are a couple of key moments when it's really useful for a team to pause and reflect. And the first of those is at the stage of developing the Country Development Cooperation Strategy, or the CDCS. Stacy, can you talk a little bit about why that's a good time to pause and reflect and what should go into reflection at that time? Sure. The work at Missions is very fast-paced, and people are engaged in the day-to-day management of really complex programs uh, in ways that work against that that uh, ability to pause and reflect. And so the um, process of developing the country-level strategy, which in most countries that's going to take place every five years, that is a really important process to take stock of what's happening in the broader context, um, how might the development landscape be changing, but also what are other development actors doing, um, how have USAID's priorities shifted perhaps, what is the new evidence that uh, informs our programming, um, who are the stakeholders we should be engaging, who are the stakeholders we are engaging, um, and especially what is the long-term knowledge that our Foreign Service National staff have that need, needs to inform the country-level strategy uh, and putting that alongside um, the sort of shorter-term experience that American staff have in a given country. So there are a lot of sources of information available that need to be sort of rounded up and and synthesized to inform the country-level strategy. But also, I, I do want to emphasize the, the collective aspect of that pause and reflect effort and the importance of bringing in a broad range of stakeholders. Uh, more and more, I think we understand how essential it is to bring in local organizations and local stakeholders. The development processes that we support are their development processes, and they need to be part of the conversation. So that's an excellent opportunity to do that. That's an interesting point you made about bringing in the variety of uh, stakeholders and perspectives. Um, in a 2015 study by Jada Di Stefano at the Harvard Business School, they they found that in the study with about 256 individuals, they found that the reflection on those experiences is what people learn from the most, because everybody's coming at it with their own perspective, especially if they're more uh, senior in their career. Uh, I've done this for 20 years. I know what it's about. Um, you may know the process, but you may not know the full context. And taking the time to bring in everybody's points of view really helps shape what is going to be best for the overall group. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, and I'm also thinking about the importance of bringing in implementing partners into the pause and f- reflect processes that we have, of course, because they will always have a different perspective than USAID staff have. Managing the implementation of a program is very different from actually implementing it on the ground. 
we really need a 360 degree look at our programs in the development context and we can only get that by engaging that full range of stakeholders including our partners that reminds me of a case competition submission we got in 2016 it was one of the winners and it was submitted by social impact about USAID Zimbabwe's CDCS, that's Country Development Cooperation Strategy development process. And this was the first full CDCS following a three-year transition strategy. And they actually took a four-week period to step back and learn how to incorporate CLA approach into their mission-wide practices at every stage of the program cycle. One of the really great things about the way that Zimbabwe did its its big weeks pause and reflect um, was that they brought in thought leaders in the various sectors and around the various development challenges that they were contemplating for their new strategy. And that's also really important. There are so many smart people in the countries in which we work who may not be funded partners of ours, but need to be strategic partners of ours. They are our knowledge peers. They bring deep local experience and knowledge and they play a critical role in informing our programs. So we need to remember to bring those people in. Uh, so that was a great um, opportunity that the Zimbabwe mission created for for their strategy development process. And then also just um, the the reinvigoration that takes place when development professionals who spend a lot of their time doing management functions to be able to re-engage with the technical evidence base of their programs is really, really important. So let's talk about portfolio reviews. What's the opportunity there for Pause and Reflect? A lot of organizations have these. In USAID, this is a process that missions undertake typically every six months, and it's an opportunity to reflect on the progress that we're making in program implementation. One of the things that we talk about a lot is a learning-focused portfolio review versus a portfolio review that might be more focused on, sometimes we call it the blame and shame game. So uh, there can be, and I think that this is true in a lot of organizations, you can have a moment where everybody gathers around to discuss results and people come in a defensive mode and are trying to protect their work by not sharing very much, or you can have uh, a more open, inquisitive, appreciative approach that says, what are we learning from our programs this way? Some of the work that's being done in the field around field-based portfolio reviews is really forward-leaning in terms of trying to create a learning culture in mission programs by engaging local stakeholders in the the portfolio review and really grounding that process in local contexts. So we see that in uh, in Uganda, we see it in Azerbaijan, um, we see it in, I believe, Zimbabwe and some other places as well. For building on that, it's being okay with stopping something that's not working. And so that you use this time to say, we we're really expecting this to be something and it's not, and we're going to discontinue that work. And that's okay because we learned all these other things that are going to influence our, our other portfolio of work. That's also a really good point. And, and that can be quite challenging in the USAID context, especially because it connects with incentives. And there's a lot of incentive to manage 
money and manage activities because in many cases that's how your performance is being reviewed. And so uh, in order to not have those incentives override what's good for development, um, we need to have that kind of process and that kind of openness that you're talking about. So Ian, on our team, the USA Learn contract, we've been very intentional about our pause and reflect practices. And so I'd like to talk to you about a couple of those. One of the easiest and most frequent pause and reflect opportunities that we do on Learn is an after action review. And that's uh, holding time after um, an important event, such as uh, a facilitation or a training, or perhaps you went on a work trip, or we have an external event. Uh, We hold a conversation with the people involved in that process to kind of talk about how it went. So we discuss what really went well, like what we, what did we expect to achieve? And then what did we actually achieve? What could we, uh, what didn't go so well? So what didn't happen? What did we expect to happen? And then what didn't happen? And what should we do differently next time? So if we were going to replicate this particular activity, what should we be aware of so that we don't repeat previous mistakes? And we use that really, really often, I would say it's fairly common. Um, We'll probably do one with this podcast, actually, to talk about the process overall and the management and then the execution and reception of it. Uh, And I think this term originated in the military to kind of review their exercises so that they don't repeat grave mistakes. Mm -hmm. Shortly after I joined the LEARN team about two years ago, the annual Collaborating, Learning, and Adapting case competition kicked off. And with just about a month to prepare, I had to figure out how to launch this really significant activity. And one thing that really came in handy for me was the notes from last year's After Action Review because they captured what the objective was, what actually happened in that process, what worked, what I should definitely do again that year, what was successful, and then also adaptations, things that the team at that point recommended be different next time. And it was helpful that that was a living document that I could reference. And it was also useful that it happened right after the previous year's case competition ended so that everything was fresh in those participants' minds. Sometimes we underestimate how much information goes out of our head after even just a couple of weeks when something's over, we move on to the next thing. And so it's really key that we schedule those after action reviews very far in advance so that we're sure that as soon as an activity wraps up, we do that review. And that's really the way that we we end our activities. We start with the kickoff and then we end with an after action review and make sure that we document that. Yeah, that's right. It's it's really kind of a, a gut check with yourself, a moment of reflection. Um, when I was in Rwanda earlier this spring, we did one at the end of each day. We were facilitating a workshop and at the end of the day, the core team of facilitators came together and say, how did it go? What do we need to change for tomorrow so that it's improving the experience instead of just sticking with the plan that you developed maybe two or three weeks in the past, um, making those real-time adjustments, and then holding a major overall activity after action review to really think about what, what really worked. Yeah, for some of our big activities, we have multiple ARs. So I remember for last year's case competition, we had one that was just about the judging process because that was such a big piece of it. And we really wanted to um, hone in on how to improve that process. And then we had another one that captured the entire case competition as a whole. 
another thing that I'll say about after action reviews is that the questions really depersonalize what happened. You're talking about how things went and there's no name calling involved. And I really like that. I think it's really helpful for talking about the work itself. It's not a blame and shame game of, oh, so, so and so really dropped the ball on this one. It's, it's not, I mean, it depends how you facilitate it, of course, but the questions are designed for you to think about the objectives you were trying to reach and how close you got to those objectives. And then if you are, if something did not go right or needs to change, how? So really spelling out what's actionable to do differently next time. Mm-hmm. We do one in our weekly check-ins. When I ask you what's something that went well, what's something that didn't go well, and what's something that you learned? From the previous week. That's true. For background, Ian is my manager. <laughs> but it's it's something simple you can do with uh, with a team, a teammate, a colleague, or with your uh, supervisor to just have that kind of high low learn. Some people call it of like what was your positive, what was your negative, and what is uh, something to do differently, or what is, did you learn that you didn't expect to. I think it's good for mor- morale, and it's good to have that accountability to have you asking me what I learned every week because sometimes I don't realize what I've learned until you ask and then I think oh I learned how to do this cool thing in Excel last week and it was really useful right because you learn too right because then we just because we often get sucked into just the day-to-day and you know having having those one-on-one check-ins with your supervisor is also an opportunity to really reflect on a monthly basis our team spends the better part of a day reflecting. Tell us about what that looks like, Ian. When the contract first began, we wanted to be intentional about adopting a pause and reflect process and culture and really taking full ownership on our monitoring and evaluation processes. And so we decided that we would do the last Friday of every month. And in the morning, we did like a meditation exercise. And then we would spend the rest of the time uh, kind of doing some team building exercises. So like appreciation and you know, personal stories, just to get to know each other better, because we were new and a small team. And then we would spend about two hours in the afternoon uh, doing some skills building work. As the team grew, and we kind of fleshed out our results framework and our goals more, our Merle team, Merle stands for Monitoring, Evaluation, Research, and Learning, uh, organized Reflection Fridays around some key learning questions that we had as a contract. And we would discuss them in, in, in a large group and then small exercises to really think about what is it that we're trying to learn here and what do we need to be doing in our work to make sure that we're doing the work the right way to answer these questions, to really check our assumptions on what our goal is as a contract. And now we've grown more and we kind of worked our way through all of those Uh, learning questions. We use it to talk about scenario planning. We use Reflection Friday to talk about uh, a particular process that may have ended or an activity in in more depth uh, to really reflect on the outcomes. If something, uh, some activities wrapped up over a year ago, we can spend some time thinking about those and what we can do in the future or what, or we can discuss what kind of impact it's going to have on our work going forward. We also use it to discuss the results of our midterm evaluation and to collectively work together on what we'd like to adapt as a result of those findings. It's kind of a meta approach to review our own midterm assessment and then make the changes. But that's what you should be doing with a midterm assessment. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful, too, to be together as a team talking about more big picture long term things, because often we're just at our desks, really in the weeds and to step back and um, across the whole team, think about where we're headed is a very helpful gut check. 
Yeah, it's really a dedicated time for everyone to come together and think about the question of, is our work having the effect we expect it to be having? Are we doing what we're doing for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. In addition to the After Action Reviews and Reflection Friday, as most contracts and agreements out there, we submit a monthly report to our client that uh, gives an update on all of our activities and contributes some of our data from um, our internal indicators to see how we're progressing along. Um, And at the end of each quarter, our moral team analyzes data from those three months of reports and three months of data collection on our internal work and synthesizes that and then leads us through a, uh, an additional reflective exercise uh, looking at, at what has been collected over the past three months and gives us a kind of a snapshot in time as, as to what has been happening. And we can see now in year four of the contract, year-over-year trends or comparisons to last quarter just to give a, a bigger picture of what we're doing. We also have an external facilitator for those quarterly reviews. So someone from our monitoring, evaluation, research, and learning team presents the data to us, gives us a chance to reflect on it, and then asks us, what changes would you like to make as a result of the information you're seeing? And for example, around the middle of last year, we noticed that the click rates for our newsletter is pretty low compared to the click rates for our general email blasts about um, one-off articles or blogs and that kind of thing and so we actually shifted away from sending newsletters we don't send newsletters anymore we just send email blasts with uh, one featured article and sometimes two sub articles but um, we've seen much higher open and click-through rates as a result of that adaptation If this episode inspired you to pause and reflect with your team, visit USAID Learning Lab to find tools such as after action review guidance and examples of how USAID missions and partners have incorporated this practice into their work. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, we've been working on another podcast series that will launch very soon. Here's a preview. Welcome to the premiere episode of the Leaders in Learning podcast series, a product of the Collaborating Learning and Adapting Team at the United States Agency for International Development, USAID. My name is Stacey Young, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the first of a seven-part podcast series that I'm co-hosting with my friend and colleague, Piers Bocock. Hi, Piers. Hi, Stacey. Starting from a theory that effective learning organizations are more impactful development organizations, Leaders in Learning is a seven-part podcast series that explores promising practices in building learning organizations through interviews with a variety of knowledge management and organizational learning leaders in the international development sector. As a senior learning advisor in USAID's Office of Learning Evaluation and Research in the agency's Bureau for Policy Planning and Learning, my job is to lead the effort to improve USAID's organizational learning capacity. And my co-host, Piers, is the chief of party for our knowledge management and learning contract, which supports our team on this mission. Together, Piers and I set out to interview a wide range of leaders in the disciplines of organizational learning, organizational development, and knowledge management in the international development sector to see what we could learn from their experience, perspective, and approaches. Right, Piers? That's right, Stacy. But 
not only did we have a lot of fun doing so, but we've used the, some of the wisdom, perspective, experience, lessons, and advice we got from those leaders in learning to plan out what we hope is a really interesting collection of episodes that delve into a range of specific components of successful organizational learning programs in the hopes that we can compile and synthesize some keys to success for ourselves as well as other champions of learning in the development sector. But before we dive into what we mean by learning in development, can I take a moment to list our various learning leaders? Yeah, sure. Go for it. And perhaps let me set the stage for a moment. Um, as is happening right now with the rain falling outside on a gray Washington spring afternoon, the interviews that we did with our leaders in learning varied in setting and timing. We did some in London as part of a DFID-sponsored conference that brought together different donors and implementing partners in learning. We did some over the telephone. We did some in person in our offices here in Washington. So um, bear with us if the sound quality varies a little bit, but just know that the spirit is there. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to tell you the names of the people. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Oh, good. Hey, I'm Chris Collison, so I'm an independent consultant, advisor, uh, and uh, work with a whole range of organisations. Um, so I tend to change my title depending on what the client wants me to be, but fundamentally I advise, support, help, um, connect um, around the overall themes of organisational learning and knowledge management. My name is Karen Mulcate. I work with the Inter-American Development Bank, and I am Chief of Knowledge Management at the IDB. So my name is Duncan Green. Uh, I have two. I work for two organisations: Oxfam GB and the London School of Economics. So um, my name is Rob Cartridge. I am the head of global knowledge at an international NGO called Practical Action. We are based in the UK and we work across um, South Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So I'm Alison Evans, I'm Chief Commissioner of the Independent Commission for Aid Impact, which is uh, an independent body set up here in the UK in 2011 to uh, scrutinise the effectiveness of UK aid. So my name is Gwen Hines, I'm Director for International Relations Division from DFID, the UK Department for International Development. So hi, my name is Tony Pryor, I'm with the Policy Planning and Learning Bureau of uh, USAID, especially in the Office of Strategic and Program Planning, SPP to its friends. My name's Clive Martley. Uh, I work for the Department for International Development uh, in the UK. So I'm Tom Sinclair and I work for CGAP, uh, which is at the World Bank. CGAP is the consultative group to assist the poor. New episodes of the Leaders in Learning series will be released in mid-June, so be sure to keep the USA Learning Lab podcast in your feed. If you're enjoying this podcast, please tell a colleague about us or rate it in iTunes so that people like you can find it. Well, that wraps up our episode and the Inside Out podcast series. 
Thank you to Ian and Stacy for co-hosting with me and sharing their knowledge and experience. I'd also like to thank Chelsea Jackard Kaufman, David Ratliff, Piers Bocock, Sarah Schmidt, and Alex Leo for their guidance and support. The USA Learning Lab podcast is a production of the USA Learn Contract, implemented by Dexas Consulting Group and its partner, RTI International, on behalf of USAID's Office of Learning, Evaluation, and Research in the Bureau for Policy, Planning, and Learning. The opinions in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States government. Our music is by Poddington Bear.